Greetings and salutations. Let's get right into it. So, in this segment, we're speaking about birds, and more importantly, this, the placement and the significance of the parrot uh, in our Yoruba pantheon. I know many of you who have not only gone through initiations, but have been sent out on missions by your padrino, your madrina, your baba, your iya, or even uh, different santeros. You have probably been sent on a mission at some point in your experience to gather a feather or feathers, and particularly, uh, most likely, uh, red parrot feathers. So in this segment, I'm going to speak about why uh, that that parrot is so significant and where it lays itself within the uh, not only the linguistic vein of our 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 systems and our traditions, but how it also lays itself in the the wisdom uh, vein in all of our systems. So, or in this particular system of uh, Orisha and Ifa. So, you'll find that uh, among the Yoruba people that there is there is often a great um, amount of poetry that is placed on not only the design the visual design of how birds look, but also on how they move and how they interact. And in in this culture or in this language, we call the parrot the odidere, odidere. And sometimes you'll also see the the eye aye kuto. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into what that actually means and how it's significant to how you move with power and gain power in the world context. So, like I said, in terms of language, uh, we have Odi Dere. And Odi Dere, which is common name uh, for the parrot, uh, means the world rejects the truth. So you see often, uh, of course, you see, of course, the word Odi in there. And when you look at, uh, well, we would say often, Eye Aye. But to make it short, many people will just say Aye Kuto. Okay, so you see, of course, Aie in there, which many of you know by now means the earth's crust. And of course, OD, you know, means to give or to or to give birth to. Okay, so uh, oftentimes you'll you'll know, as many of you have learned so far, that this language, this Yoruba language, one word can have many different meanings because we're approaching one word from many different angles. We just don't take things in a two-dimensional form and say the letters are this high and this long, so therefore that's it. But we're looking all around the statement. We're looking all around the word. The word. What does the back of it look like? What does the left of it look like? What does the right of it look like? So forth and so on. The top, the middle, you know, the uh, undergarment of the, of the letter. So I'm going to share with you a story, and then I'm going to explain to you why uh, we use this term for parrot, meaning the world rejects the truth. So in times before, when uh, certain animal forms or animal spirits were said to have the ability or more so display the ability to speak the language of men, we had a bird. And one day this bird was out and it came among uh, a man who was basically a farmer. 
And um, when it came among this farmer, you know, it began to uh, to speak to it. And when it spoke, when it spoke to it, the farmer said, "Oh wow, you you understand my language, so you should come and live, you know, with me, you know, because you speak, we speak the same language. So if we speak the same language, therefore we must be of similar ilk, right? So the bird then decided, okay, okay, I'll come and stay with you, and it would travel back and forth with the farmer from you know from its home to its farm." every day, you know, and it was basically like a companion to it, you know, was able to speak to it and enjoy the day and so forth with this farmer. So one day they go out to the farm and one of the farmer's animals uh, had wandered on to the farmer's yard, you know, the farmer's farm. In some stories, you'll see that the animal uh, was was a, a goat and others you'll see that it was a rooster and others you'll see that it was even a buffalo it's all significant to um what metaphorical expression expression that's coming forth at that time through the folklore so nonetheless uh the an- the animal is on the yard and the farmer then slays the animal okay he slays the animal and what he does is he takes part of it and he cooks it up and uh, he eats it. And then he takes another part of it and he hides it away. And then he takes, you know, some that's left over and he smokes it so he can have it, you know, in storage. That's how, you know, if things are smoked back home, they're smoked. You know, I mean, they're stored, they're smoked. So then a neighbor comes by um, and says, hey, have you seen my animal? I, I think my animal wandered from my place and I am unable to find it. And the farmer says, no, I, I haven't seen him. I, I didn't, I didn't see the animal, but, uh, the bird speaking the truth said, yeah, we saw it. And in fact, my master killed it, cooked it, smoked some of it and put some of it away, you know? So when that happened, the, the person who had owned the animal, he then put forth a summons uh, to the farmer so that he would have to appear before the chief and, you know, he could be properly punished, you know, and, and they could they could hear both sides of their case in front of the chief. So, of course, the farmer was upset with the bird for um, giving him away, you know, basically sharing and saying what he had done. So that night... Um, when the bird went into its cage, right, the farmer, what he did was he covered the cage with a piece of cloth and he began to pour water on top of the cage and bang on the side of it. So what it basically did was it made the bird think that it was storming, you know, like the weather had been crazy that night. So that next day they all went to the, uh, to the chief and the, and the village was there and they went to go hear the case. So, the farmer, he said, you know, listen, why would you listen to this this miserable bird? You know, uh, we call that Oli. No, excuse me. Oli, Olori. We call it Olori Buruku. Okay. That's the shortened form. It's actually longer than that. It's actually Aye. Aye or Eye. Eye Olori Buruku. But in, in most times when you're hearing the songs or whatever, they're just going to say Olori Buruku. 
you know. But so we call that Olori Buruki, Buruki, Buruku, the miserable birds. Because my tongue is heavy today. Um, <laughs> so he said, you know, why would you listen to this this bird? He's, you know, he's he's not right in the head, and and he's he's miserable. So the farmer said, you know, you can do what you want to do with me, but I would ask you to do one thing. Just ask this bird what happened, what was last like, last night like for him. So the bird said, oh, I, I didn't sleep at all. You know, it was it was storming and it was raining and, you know, the thunder was, was shaking my cage apart, you see. And in that moment, the king said, wait a minute, you know, it wasn't raining and storming last night. Okay, this... This bird isn't right in the head, and and you know um, it shouldn't be allowed to live among men because it sows confusion. So in that instance, the uh, the bird was sent deep into the forest and forbidden from living in the land of men again. You see. So then what happened? Once it gets into the into the woods, it finds Odidere and or the parrot, and it says to the parrot, you know. Because uh, the parrot started speaking with the with the words of, you know, Enian or the words of of men, and the bird said to the parrot, "Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some advice. If and when you get among the men, never say the truth to them. Because if you're going to live with them, it's only best to repeat whatever they say. So, for instance, if they say they didn't kill their neighbor's goat or their neighbor's buffalo." You repeat the same thing and say, you, "Yeah, he didn't kill the he didn't kill a goat. He didn't kill the buffalo." So the parrot took took that advice. Said, "Okay, cool." So as time went by, the parrot was found uh, by a man, and when the man spoke to it, what it did was it repeated back what the man said, and because of that, the parrot was now able to um, be harbored and more so be covered. Uh, by the presence of men. All right. So this is why Odidere, we say, uh, in terms of term, means the world will reject the truth. So you see there's a prime significance there when we're dealing with the energy of the parrot, we're dealing with the energy of that bird because, and, you know, because um, we're dealing with truth. You know, and of course, many will associate the parrot, especially the red parrot, to Oshun. And, and that's not an inaccurate uh, perception because, again, what are we looking at when we're looking at Oshun? We're looking at mirrors. We're looking at waters and rivers that often people look into and look for their reflection, you see. And so there's a significant idea there of those birds representing the truth. And oftentimes what people will do is they'll try to distort that truth for their own comfort. Now, you know, a real easy example in terms of that distortion also in dealing with the birds is when we look at the story of, of, of Aluko. And Aluko, again, also being a bird, you know, lived around and among men and they were so frustrated and they were so um, insecure about the beauty of not just Aluko, but also um, Leke Leke, um, Aluko, uh, of course, Odi Dere, you know, and uh, even Agbe 
and you read a lot of like folklore and stuff like that and you read about these four birds and the misfortune to some degree of those birds and what they basically did was they used different things like dyes and effoon and palm oil and so forth and so on and what they would do was they would they would try to uh as the, as the stories go they would try to distort the beauty of these birds because they were so they were so beautiful and they were so radiant and they were so gorgeous so they said okay well let's take some effoon and put it all over this one let's take some palm oil and put it all over this one let's take some dye and throw it all over this one and what they ended up doing by trying to destroy them or trying to distort them trying to the mar to mar them they ended up making them more beautiful than they were before you know you see so the attempts that Man had to destroy something that was divine and beautiful to begin with, ended up working towards the good of those who maintained the position of their truth. Because truth comes from the inner and works its way, its way to the outer. Because truth, again, as I've said so many times, is the actual presence of a thing. It's the originating thought and divine presence of any force or energy. That's what truth is. So truth isn't something that we just say. We can express the truth, but we can only express truth that is living inside of us. So even though people may come and seek to distort you, people may come to seek to try to diminish you and undermine you for their own comfort, your truth is always going to express itself. It's like if someone tried to throw, if you're just so beautiful, someone said, hey, we're going to put a potato sack or a paper bag over your head. But if what's expressing outward of you is the truth of beauty, then somehow you're going to make that paper bag attractive. You're going to make that potato sack attractive. And it's only going to be a new enhancement to your beauty because it's it's radiating outward. You know, it's not an external thing where you become dependent on, on makeup or you become dependent on going to the gym or dependent on jewelry or dependent on uh, acquiring new information constantly in order to shine brilliant in front of people. But instead, it's pouring divinely from you. It is your position. So, you know, those birds are colored so beautiful that the way they are, because it was men who tried to distort the way that they are and ended up making them more beautiful. Now, if you know anything about, especially uh, Aye Couteau or Odidere, the parrot, uh, one thing about the parrot, which in, in, in Yoruba land represents royalty, the parrot, um, in order to really engage them and enjoy them, you have to go a little bit deeper into the bush. You're not going to find them so much just, you know, sitting on people's houses and stuff like that. You know, especially more so if you live in an, er in an urban area. They're more in the bush. So it's the idea, then again, of sometimes in order to express or live out your truth, you may have to go seek solitude. You may have to seek isolation. And more important, you may have to put yourself in a natural environment where truth survives and truth is embraced and truth is enjoyed. Now, we can bring this up, you know, um, I want to say modern day, but maybe not so modern at this point. But if we look at the 48 laws of power, right? And in looking at the 48 laws of power, we know that law number one, we, we start off, is uh, never outshine the master, right? So I know a lot of people, when they read um, the 48 laws of power, they have a little a little 
issue with that one, you know, as people have often said and reported back. And I don't think so much people just have an issue with the idea of kind of learning to um, work with someone who's in power. But I think some people don't know how to do it. They don't know how to genuinely tone it down <laughs> or to genuinely read the um, the environment, read their contextual environment, because sometimes they're so arrogant. You know, they don't know that there's great power, you know, in learning to go lower. In fact, there's a sacred odu of Irete Meji, which tells us to stoop to conquer. You know, humility is how we rise above inferior people, you know, through humility. And a lot of times your master is that inferior person. So it's not so much that you become a behind kisser or, you know, you become um, ingratiating with, you know, flattery and things like that, you know, to the point that it, it becomes, you know, disingenuine or it's it's clear that it is disingenuine. Um, but but you learn to move yourself out of the trajectory and out of the, the targetness, the target, you know, um, the target range of people's insecurities, you see. And the idea also of, of never outshining the master doesn't mean that you don't have brilliance and shininess inside of you, but it also, it, it means knowing your place. You know, if you have a master, so for instance, with the parrot, when he was questioned along with his master, did you do this? And the master said, no, the master speaks for the household. So if, if the head of the household says no, then that, that covers for everyone else. So that doesn't mean you step around him and say, wait a minute, boom, 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 and I'm just expressing the truth, or I'm expressing my truth. You see, that's open rebellion. Because there could be a million and one reasons why that no was expressed outside of the idea of the master, of course, not wanting to put themselves in a position where they may be harmed or in a position where they may cause damage to themselves. So the idea of, of never outshining the master is really getting to learn and know the master and know the culture and the context of your environment and what sustains and supports you. You know, it's similar to like the statement, never bite the hand that feeds you. A lot of times you'll find, uh, especially you can just look in, in um, history, look at rulership history. You see so many different stories of, of leaders who were disposed, deposed because, because they um, forgot their place. Great one. You look at the, uh, and I often often cite it because of its uh, just great structural form that it had. But again, the Ottoman Empire. And you look at, um, you know, the Pasha who was done away with by uh, uh, Suleiman because he, um, Ibrahim, you know, Pasha Ibrahim, he was done away with because he got to a point where he said uh, at once in mixed company that regardless of what he says, you know, he basically controls, you know, um, the Sultan, you know, and whatever he says to do, the Sultan will do. And that got win back, you know, that got back to the Sultan and, and, you know, he murdered him, you know, so, Sometimes we begin to enjoy the glory of our own consciousness, the glory of our own wit, the glory of our own beauty so much that we lose sight of what's actually sustaining that beauty. And like I said, when you look at the um, Odidere, you look at the parrots, even in nature, 
they tend to move into a space where they can be together. They can be amongst like kind. So if you want to look at it as like truth seekers should seek should seek out truth seekers or truth sayers should seek out truth sayers because the world typically is offended by the truth. Like Robert Nestle Marley has told us the truth is an offense. To some, the truth is an offense, you know, because it highlights, it's like shining a light and it highlights their insecurities. But I know there's going to be many people that are jump quick to say, yeah, because people don't like me around. You know, sometimes people don't like you around because you're just not enjoyable to be around. So I want to, I want you to understand that this is not a blanket statement that I'm saying to everyone who doesn't have verbal control. Some people will think that they see something that they didn't see and don't know how to spend the time introspecting long enough, which means being quiet. It's very similar to when I taught on the science of the zero and the one and or the blinking of the eyes. When you close your eyes is your time to process what you've seen when your eyes were open. But you can't go through your life with your eyes open. You know, if you live for 90 years, you can't go 90 years never blinking your eyes with your eyes open. And willfully, you don't go 90 years with your eyes closed. So there's a give and take there. There's a there's a intake and a processing that needs to happen. But for some people, they never blink the eye. Their eyes are open and, and they see things and they think that there's great glory in what they what they've seen and what they've processed without using the womb of their own silence. And they've processed it. They process what they process in a loud way or they've used social construct to process whatever it is that they come in contact with. See, that's a form or, an, or of of moving through the world with your eyes wide open and never closing them to process properly. So, for instance, if I see something that happens, let's say if I look at someone else's culture or I'm supported by someone else's culture, let's say I come into a household and one of the rules in this particular household is that the man eats first, the man's plate is served and no one eats until the man of the house or the master of the house, because that's what the man is. He's the master of the house. You know, until the master of the house comes in or comes home and, and gets ready and sits down and eats. I may say, well, you know what? This is misogynistic and this is archaic and, and we don't really have to, to go by rules like that. There should be no gender roles and so forth and so on. Well, everything that I just said is terminology that came external from me, that came from social structure. So I'm processing somebody else's tradition, I'm processing somebody else's culture or somebody else's way, not with the inner truth in the womb of my own spiritual wisdom or ancestral wisdom, but I'm processing it with my eyes open and I'm immediately looking for an example of reference and an example of verbiage outside of myself. You see, you get that with so many different movements like the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, there's certain buzzwords that begin to circle around in the atmosphere, you know, uh, being marginalized, you know, um, uh, gender, gen gender, um, well, I don't want to use that word, and that might get us sit down, but, you know, um, terrorism, you know, or um, uh, transgressive uh, genderism, you know, all of these different, these different terms that people are using now and throwing around, uh, in order to, because they know that those words have power, you know, even sexual abuse, sexual harassment, right? These are words that are thrown around constantly because they have power, but people a lot of times have not processed not only what the words actually mean, but who's pushing them around and for what reason, 
You see, so when you're going through with your eyes wide open constantly, you never get a moment to really reflect on your contextual environment to make an intelligent determination as to what should be being said and what should not be being said. So the idea of, again, of, of not outshining the master because becomes very difficult because you become unaware of of what daring to outshine that master actually means if you haven't taken time quietly to study what the master is what the master likes and sure there are people in leadership positions who are highly insecure that's that this you know that's a that's a real issue and it's there's no secret to that but in that we learn wisdom Right. So just like you have the parrot in, in, in our Yoruba, its name means the world rejects truth. It's are we saying that that's a fair thing? Are we saying that it's a just thing or are we saying that this is just what it is? You know, so learning to move with wisdom often is a lot more important than living or, or living your truth. There's times that I've told students many times there's a time to be righteous and there's a time to be wise. You see, and by this story, by this folklore, you understand that there's a time to be wise. I have to be wise to the ways of men. And when I become wise to the to the ways of men, then I can righteously and strategically move among men and maintain and even get even gather power because of the environment that I'm in. So, for instance, if you went into the jungle and you know, a gorilla saw you or a lion saw you or a hyena saw you, you know, or some some vicious, you know, animal that could do you great harm. You could righteously and truthfully, truthfully say, I mean no harm to this animal, so I'm going to go straight up to it and I'm going to speak to it. Now, many of you could imagine how that might turn out. Now, was it true that you meant it no harm? Yeah, that was probably a true statement. But what does wisdom say? You know, what does our experiential history say of what has happened to people who have gone close? Because those animals and their insecurity may feel afraid or maybe they have a history of men who came too close causing them harm because they're living out their truth as the animals that they are. Right. So what they'll do out of fear, they may attack, they may kill. And you can still say, but I was doing I was righteous. I was truthful. I wasn't I really wasn't going to hurt anything. But you weren't wise. You see, so that's what we're, what we're picking up, not only in name, but also when we look at, at, at the different folklore or we look at the, the first law of power in Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, Never Outshine the Master, we're understanding that oftentimes the adoration that we receive from the community can often undermine the position of the master. You see, and though we can have great ability, though we can have great skill, Though we can have um, great brilliance within our own nature and great brilliance within our own structure, if you're dealing with someone who may be dealing with a little bit of insecurity or may even be an egomaniac, your natural shining can be seen as a threat. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're striving to outshine the master and that you're, you're working actively to go beyond where the master is. Not to say that some people don't do that. Because some people do. Some people actually will go out of their way to either prove their worthiness to the master or prove their worthiness to those who are around the master, which, of course, is, is foolish and 
in, 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 in every execution, but some have a natural brilliance that just comes through that they may not be aware of because they're not aware of their own self-shape. I can tell you personally, I've lost positions behind that before, and it was said to me exactly why I lost the positions. I was a director once of, of one firm that I was let go from some, you know, many years back, actually. And um, when it was asked, because it, it was such a, it was such a, um, <laughs> an impacting event when I was let go that the next day, uh, many of the employees came in wearing all black. And they said they were mourning, you know, my, my removal from that space. And when it was asked of the CEO why I was removed, and he said, he, he said that I can't have people around here uh, shaking Haru pom-poms, okay? So, you know, in that moment and in that instance, I was outshining the master and I wasn't aware of it. I was doing what I felt was a great job and, and trying to maintain my position doing a great job and, and really showing my worth and, and more importantly, feeling a sense of freedom in my own talent, feeling a sense of freedom in my own skill set in that particular position that I had and felt good about being able to do effective work and being able to do impacting work. But the reality is the individual who owned the actual uh, institution didn't have that skill and didn't have that ability. And I should have taken more time to actually study him as opposed to him saying, yeah, do your thing. And, and I love what you're doing. And this and all of that is great. But all the while I was outshining what he brought to the table and I was doing it in a very natural sense, but I got ahead of myself. And as a result, I was removed from that situation. Now I have to say in all positivity that there have been times where I have either removed myself from a situation or been removed from a situation because what the master that I thought I needed to sustain me, I no longer needed. There's been times where I was a part of certain spiritual organizations and movements where, you know, it came to a point where in my learning and my development and my evolution, I was looking eye to eye with, you know, my teacher or my pastor or, you know, my my Baba, you know, and that's a normal thing. I said that before that at some point, Every student or every child faces the parent, looks eye to eye with the parent. And that's what your ambition and goal should be as a parent in order to do that. Not to necessarily diminish the beauty of the child or diminish the beauty of something that you can't understand. Because if you do that, you're only going to make it more beautiful anyway. It's only going to backfire, but really to grow it and to evolve it so it gets to the point where it's standing on its own too. And it could surpass you and make you obsolete. Great example of this uh, is The Last Dragon with uh, Bruce Leroy and his master. You see the scene in the beginning where he's shooting arrows at him and he catches the blue arrow and he, he was blindfolded. And his master said, how did you know that that was the one that you were supposed to catch? And he said, I don't know. And he said it, he, he then fell to his knees thinking that he did something wrong or maybe upset his master. And his master was laughing and he was saying... You have to look within. And essentially, which we find out throughout the movie was that you are the master already and it only comes into your knowing. You know, so I can teach you no more. And he said that I, can, I there's no more I can teach you. 
And he thought again that he said something, you know, the master was angry with him, but not realizing that he was proud because he grew to his level. So now he can see eye to eye or in that sense, like the Odidere, like the parrot, he can go now into the woods or into the bush with the other parrots and we can enjoy our time together as evolved masters away from the insecurities and small, feeble minded thinking of men, you see, but you know, sometimes it takes us to not only study our environment, study our master, study our context, study ourselves with a closed eye or within the sacred forest. You see, that's the, the forest represents in, in our Ifa tradition, it represents meditation. You know, that sacred forest, as we always call it, it represents that silent space or that silent time when you go into meditation to think, to be among yourself and to be among your kind, where you can develop your proper and right theory. All right. So that has been our lesson. And, uh, you know, you can get uh, all of the, the podcasts and schedule readings because people have been asking about readings as well as spiritual work. If you're looking for any spiritual work, go to the There's a scheduling thing there for, for everything. And you can also get uh, the other podcasts. Of course, there's not so many now because we just restarted this experience, but there will be more forthcoming. All right. This has been Chief Yuya. Make sure you follow me at Chief Yuya, you on all social media, and until such time, Odavo.